0: Amen. Uh, Fail to announce your announcements that uh, Senior Luncheon is also this upcoming Tuesday. We are headed to the Yoki uh, restaurant on Bechtel Avenue, and that's at 1130. Sign-up sheet out on the info desk as well. We also have our at-home Bible study this Wednesday as well. So, yeah, awesome uh, ministry to take part in. Now, as we sit here in our cozy church after getting up from our cozy beds this morning. uh, We realize that war is raging over in Israel, between Israel and the Hamas. Thousands of people have already died from from this war that is only a week old at this point. Life is so comfortable for us here in America, for, for most of us, that I can't, e- I don't know about you, but personally, I can't even imagine what it would be like waking up to warning sirens in the morning and having rockets being fired at us. Uh, I, I live in such a comfortable state that I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that experience would be like um, as we live in such a comfortable state. This comfortable state that we live in, I think, is a big reason why I think the ground here in the United States is not very fertile. In the parable of the sower, an illustration about the message of the kingdom being spread to all nations, the sower spread seed on four different types of ground, and only one type of ground was good soil that nourished the seed. And Here's to praying that we all, our nation, can be awakened by the Spirit of God, that we can come out of this comfortable state that that we are in, and we seek to have a radical, life-changing experience with God through His Spirit. Here's to praying that God's will will be done over in Israel, whatever that may look like. And so I just want to take a a moment, if you all would bow with me and, and pray over our nation that we can be awakened from our slumber and and praying for Israel and and the war going on over there as well. If you'll bow with me, father God, we give you praise for all that you are father, the the God of all of heaven and the God of all the earth. Father, father, there is nothing out of your control, out of your power, out of your knowledge. Father, Uh, We just pray for those overseas in Israel, Father. Father, we pray that your will may be done in this crisis. We pray that these nations may rally around you. They may seek you for comfort, for a peace that passes all of our understanding, for a love, for an identity as your child. Father, I pray that you watch over this nation that we can awaken from our slumber, we can shake up our lives and get away from this comfortable lifestyle and radicalize our life around you through your life-giving spirit, Father. So I just thank you for this opportunity that we have to seek you first and foremost to communicate directly to you the author of mankind, the author of creation. So God, we thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Last week, we started a new series entitled Communion with God. And it's a series all about prayer. As ultimately, that's what prayer is. Prayer is communion with God. And so last week, as we began this series, we addressed two basic questions of prayer. One, uh, what is prayer? And that's communion with God. Well, what does communion with God mean? Communion with God is an establishment of an intimate relationship with through the intimate exchange of thoughts and feelings. And so as we are praying to God, we are seeking to establish this intimate relationship with God through the intimate exchanging of our thoughts and feelings. And so that, that's what prayer revolves around. And then the second question that we addressed last week was, why pray? why pray. And we discover that the purpose of prayer isn't to get something from God. Some people use prayer as a means to get what they want, as a means to uh, talk to the genie in the bottle and and grant their three wishes in life. No, that's not the purpose of prayer. That's not why we pray. The purpose of prayer is to grow closer to God, to experience that communion with God, to experience that that fellowship with God. That is why we pray as his creation, as uh, as we devote our life to Christ, Christ, devote our life to God. That's what we do as God's beloved children. And so today, we're we're going to answer another critical question when it comes to this topic of prayer. And the one we're we're just going to address one question this morning. The one question that we are going to address this morning is how to pray. How to pray. So we uh, understand what prayer is—communion with God, the exchanging of intimate thoughts and and feelings uh, through the establishment of an intimate uh, connection with God—and we understand why we pray: it's to to grow closer to God. But the next question we have to address is how do we pray? And we're going to talk a lot about prayer throughout this series. But what good would it, would it be to talk extensively about prayer if after the series, someone in here didn't understand how to pray? As some, some people simply don't know what to pray for, what to say to an all knowing God. You know, that, that can be a, a tricky uh, predicament that, that we may find ourselves in. And what, what do we say to a God who knows our every thought, our every need, our every desire? What in the world are we to say? Many of us have probably been in a public situation where someone is called on to pray and they are fearful because they don't know what to say. Maybe that person uh, was you before. uh, And it's just an uncomfortable uh, position for everybody in that situation. We're going to seek uh, to solve that issue today to, to understand how to pray to God. And so my hope is that by the end of this message, everyone in here will have a very basic understanding of how to pray and what we can say to God through prayer. And so this message is going to be geared slightly more towards the person who does not already have an established way of prayer in their life. And so prayer is communion with God, the establishment of an intimate relationship through the intimate exchange of thoughts and feelings. How should you pray to God? We should pray to God like an intimate loved one, maybe even more specifically, a loving father. Many of you are in a similar position uh, to me as you were brought up in a household with a loving father. Many of you can relate to my sort of relationship that I share with my father And some of you may not know what it feels like or what it looks like to to have a a father who loves on you and who cares for you. And, And if that's true for you, I hate that for you. If you don't have a loving father, it's my hope, it's my prayer that you can experience that relationship with God Almighty, the perfect loving father to his children, the father that no earthly father could ever begin to live up to. And we can all experience that. We can all experience what it feels like to have a loving father care for us. Because if we devote ourselves to God, if we live our life through faith, then we become his child and he becomes our father, our father who loves us ever so dearly. And so we should pray to God like we would talk to, like we would communicate with a loving father. And when we are communicating with a loving father, there should be an element of respect and an element of love. And the same is true with how we communicate with God as well, as God is both transcendent and he is imminent. Transcendent is existing beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human experience. And then eminence is existing or operating within. And so that's such an interesting dichotomy about God is that God, uh, he he enacts two traits that kind of seem to contradict one another. That that he is transcendent. He is transcendent in the fact that he is all-knowing, that he has all-powerful and so God's not just one of our buddies that we hang out with uh, over the weekend. That, that, that's not our sort of relationship with God. God, God is transcendent. He, he rises above that just being one of your buddies. At the same time, though, God is imminent in the fact that he is approachable and ever near. God's not some unapproachable being who doesn't care about us. You know the uh, the the most powerful people in this world, whether they be governors, uh, whether they be presidents, whether they be whomever, the CEOs of these large corporations. Chances are they don't know you, and and chances are uh, they don't. care as much about what you individually want in this world. But that's not how God works. God God is not unapproachable. I don't know about you, but if I really want to, I cannot get a hold of the president. I cannot get a hold of the governor. I couldn't get a hold of the CEO of Amazon or Walmart. I don't have that sort of uh, capacity. Does anybody have that capacity? No, none of us have uh, those sort of connections in here. Bummer. Uh, But what we do have is we have a God with all power and all authority and he so much is approachable. He's more approachable than your spouse, than your children, than your parents, than your loved ones, because our God is never asleep. Our God is alive, and he is a well, and his line is open 24 7. And so he's transcendent in the fact, all knowing, all powerful, and yet he's imminent, and that he is ever approachable. He's ever near through his spirit. We can access him directly. every day of the year, that line is always open. And so when we pray to God, we should express both a sincere respect out of his power and his knowledge and the authority that he has over us, over his creation, over his children. At the same time, we should express an earnest love for God as well and an earnest care for God. A God who is approachable 24-7. A God who loves and cares for us. And and so this is the tone that we should move forward with in our prayer with God. And our tone when when communicating, our tone is so important. Uh, Most of you guys probably heard uh, the saying 10% of communication is what you say. 30% 30% is your body language, and then 60% of communication is how you say it, the, the tone behind it, the attitude, the heart behind it. And so when we approach God in prayer, 60% of this battle, 60% of this question of how we communicate with God, how we pray to God, focuses on the stance, this attitude, this position of approaching God with the utmost respect and approaching him with a love and care as well as your heavenly Father. It's, uh, two, two, twofold there. And this is oh so true when talking about communication, whether you communicate with your spouse, with your children, your parents, friends, coworkers, bosses. It's not so much about what you say, but it's about how you say that. And we have to be considerate of our tone with God. How are we approaching God? We must approach God with love and with respect, with respect to his power and his authority over each and every one of us. And once we understand our tone that we should present before God in our prayers, then we can focus on what to say. I mean, what in the world are you supposed to say to an all-knowing God? This has been a question that people have been trying to answer for a long time. In the year 1883, someone put together a simple model or formula to help us know what to say to God in prayer. And this uh, model or formula it was first published in the periodical The Continent in the year 1883. So this model of prayer first published in 1883 gained a lot of popularity over the next century plus as more and more Christians were taught this simple model to help people know what to say in prayer. And and as we uh, get ready to say this, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with this model as well. This model really gained a lot of steam, a lot of popularity. And the model is an acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it stands, the A stands for adoration, the C, confession, The T, thanksgiving, and the S, supplication. And we're going to break down each uh, of these elements in this model of prayer here in a minute. But a disclaimer about this model of prayer, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, is that nowhere in the Bible does it mandate you pray like this. Uh, This model was published nearly 2,000 years after the completion of the scriptures. In fact, I I recommend not following a rubric or outline every time you pray. Let me ask you this. Do you follow a model or a rubric or an outline when you talk to your spouse, your parents, your children, or your dear friends? Raise your hand if you do. Yeah, no, none none of you guys. uh, We we don't do that. In the same manner, we don't follow a rubric when, when we pray to God. But this ACTS acronym serves two purposes in my mind. The first purpose that is for the new believer who doesn't know how to pray to the almighty God, the God who knows our every thought. Uh, I I compare that this model is to prayer as training wheels are to bicycles. I mean, the idea is when when you have training wheels on on your bicycle as a kid, the idea is that eventually you graduate from these training wheels and eventually you don't have to rely on them. And this model can help you establish a routine of prayer in your life, and then you can eventually lean less and less on this model of prayer. And second purpose, I also think, is that this model is also for the person who prays every day, for the person who has this close and intimate connection with God, who truly is experiencing communion with God. As this model helps remind us that there are four elements that should be found in our prayers. It doesn't need to be exactly in this order every time. Not every prayer will or even should have all four of these separate elements. But overall, our collective prayers should contain all four of these very important elements in our prayers. As we'll see here here in a minute, each of these four elements, each of these four different recipes in this ingredient, in this uh, formula, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, They are all found in the scriptures. They are all supported in God's word. Elements that we need to enact in our prayer lives as well. And so let's break down each of these elements here uh, just a few minutes. The the first one is adoration. In Psalms 117, the uh, happens to be the shortest uh, Psalm or chapter in your Bible. We're going to read the whole thing this morning. Psalm 117 reads Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I love the psalm. It's short and it gets straight to the point. Praise the Lord. We are commanded to praise the Lord. We are commanded to adore him in all of his glory and might and honor. Similarly, in Psalm, uh, just a couple of pages uh, after Psalm 148, verses 1 through 5, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. A considerable amount of our prayer time should be simply spent adoring who God is and adoring what God does for you and I. We serve an incredible God. Nothing better than the name of God. Nothing comes close. You know, Jesus echoes this same sort of sentiment in Matthew chapter 6. We won't read it, but in the Lord's Prayer, many people familiar with the Lord's Prayer. In this model example of prayer that Jesus provides, the first line there is, our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name. In other words, where we're addressing our prayer to, to our Father in heaven, and this Father in heaven, he has a name that, that is hallowed. He has a name that is like no name in heaven or on earth. There is nobody like our God. And so Christ Jesus himself adoring and praising the name of God. And we too, we, we've got to echo that same sort of sentiment that we've got to adore and praise the name of God. And so, if you don't know what to say when you're seeking God in prayer, just start it off by talking about how awesome God is. God, you are awesome. You are all loving. You are abounding in truth and grace and mercy. And I give you praise. Adore God. In your prayers, tell God how awesome He is and praise His name. He likes receiving glory from His children and give Him the glory that He so much deserves. And so that's the, the, this first uh, recipe, this first step in this model of prayers adoration. Just simply adore who God is, praise Him for all that He is. The second element in th- this formula uh, is confession. If you go back near the, the very end of your Bible in, in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If, though, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here the writer John spells it out pretty plainly here, pretty simple. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from unrighteousness. A great example of a hero of our faith who, who abided by this, who confessed his sins to God is King David. If you read through Psalm 51, and we won't read that again this morning uh, either, but Psalm 51 is all uh, a prayer that David offers up to God. And the context of this prayer is very much important when you go home and and you study uh, Psalm 51. The context of this prayer is that David wrote this Psalm shortly after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. David made a huge mistake there. David, he, he had a very faithful soldier, a very faithful servant, Uriah. He sent Uriah and the rest of the men off to war, off to battle. And so what does David do? He sees this beautiful uh, woman bathing on the rooftop and he commits adultery. He sleeps with Bathsheba while his faithful soldier, who is married to Bathsheba, is off fighting in this war that David commanded him. And so that was David's first big mishap is that he committed adultery with one, uh, with, with, uh, one of his faithful uh, soldiers' wives. Big mishap number one. The second big mistake in the story is that David tries to cover it up. He, he didn't, he wanted to keep the darkness. He didn't want to shine the light on this big mistake that he had. And so he tried to have Uriah come home and sleep with his wife Bathsheba. Uriah, A plus dude. He says, I can't sleep with my wife. I'm going to sleep at your footstep for how can I comfortably sleep with my wife while my brothers are out fighting in this war. And so a faithful, loyal dude to King David and the nation of Israel. Third big mishap, third big sin in this story is that David then had Uriah killed. Uriah sent a message to to this war and he he ordered that Uriah be sent to the front lines to die and to, to retreat and to have this man killed. Three huge no-nos in the story of King David. But yet the awesome thing about King David after these awful, awful things he's done is that David was still defined as a man after God's own heart. Now, how in the world Can a man who commits adultery with another man's wife then tries to cover it up by having that man sleep with his wife, that didn't work, and then having this man killed? How in the world can this man be described as a man after God's own heart? And the answer is he can if he confesses his sins to God and repents of his sins. And that's truly what David did. Please, when you go home uh, later this week, later this afternoon, please go home and read Psalm 51 and see the heart of repentance as David is confessing this sin over to his heavenly father. And David truly was repentant of this sin. He stopped what he was doing and he turned around and, and he was giving God all of the glory. And so because of this confession, because of this repentance, David is described to this day, as a man after God's own heart. It's my hope in that, that prayer that that title fits me as well. I hope that title fits you guys out there as well, and you ladies that you can be described as a woman after God's own heart. That title can be a true representation of us if we confess our sins before God and we, and we repent of the sins that we have committed. And so David confesses sins to God and God forgave him. And we too were told here in 1 John that we are to confess our sins. If we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you're in conflict with a loved one, saying sorry doesn't solve all of your issues. However, saying sorry can start the healing process. This can be especially true for uh, men and it being difficult to to admit fault, admit that you are sorry. I'm telling you, men, just tell your significant other that you're sorry. It can do wonders. It it can start this healing process in the midst of conflict. So admit when you're at fault with your loved ones. At the same time, admit when you're at fault with your heavenly father as well and confess your sins to God. There is a lot of power in confession. We can talk about confession to to other saints, to to other Christians, and there's a lot of power in that as well. There's a lot of power in confessing your sins to God. And that should be an element that that we find in our prayers to God. And so we adore God. God, you are awesome. We give you all praise. We we, we thank you for who you are. God, forgive me. Forgive me for uh, X, Y, and Z. And I'm sorry. Help me repent of this sin. After we confess our sins, we can address God with, with, with thanksgiving. That's the third element, thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 part, give thanks in some circumstances. Wait, that, That's actually not what Paul wrote. He said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every single circumstance that we find ourselves in, we should be giving thanks. We can give thanks to God with the birth of a child. We can give thanks to God when you lose a loved one. You give thanks to God with the promotion at work. You give thanks to God when you're fired. You give thanks to God when you are healthy. You give thanks to God when you are sick. And all Circumstances, we give thanks to God. We always have reasons to be thankful to God. Oftentimes, when we are going through a certain crisis, a certain trial or tribulation, uh, this temporary uh, conflict, this temporary crisis that we are going through, it can seem like a mountain and it can seem like there, there is no greater thing in this world. Sometimes we need to take our eyes off of this crisis at hand we need to put our eyes on God, all loving God, the all loving father, father who loves you, sent his son to die for you, father who wants to spend the rest of eternity with you. And in every situation, in all circumstances, we can give thanks to God. This has uh, been a topic that has really been gaining a lot of steam in the 21st century. A lot of secular uh, psychologists, secular uh, scientists who have no affiliation with the church whatsoever, they've been studying the effects of gratitude and seeing that gratitude has such a strong connection with happiness in life. When you, when you present your life, when, when, when you come into life with a grateful heart, chances are there's a very strong connection that you're just generally going to be a happier person as well. There are so many positive effects of expressing gratitude. And as we seek to commune with God and seek to exchange intimate thoughts and feelings with God, we've got to exchange these thoughts and feelings of gratitude with God as well. For he's better than everyone else. We've got to adore him for that. We've got to thank him for that as well and all that he does for us, the blessings day in and day out. Thank him for the air that you breathe day in, day out, the water that you drink, the food that you eat, the home that you live in, the family that you're surrounded with, the church that you're a part of, the relationship that you have with God. There are so many things that you can and should be thankful to God for. And then finally, the fourth element of this model of prayer, the S, is supplication. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving as well, let your requests be made known to God. And so Paul commands us to let our requests, let our desires, our needs be made known to God. You know, Jesus echoes this sentiment in Matthew 7 as well. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. And so this is the part, this is the element of prayer, the step of prayer where you ask things from God. And notice this is at the end of this model that was offered over 100 years ago. This comes after the adoration, after the confession, after the thanksgiving. After all this, then we seek God and we present our requests to God. You know, many uh, people's prayers start and end with supplication. They start and end with requests made to God. When this is the sole focus of our prayers, we are treating God more like a genie than a loving father. We cannot treat God like a genie. He's not a genie. that's not who He is, but he is our loving Father. And we've got to m- communicate with him uh, likewise. It's not the sole focus of our prayers to make our requests known to God. But yet I do believe that God wants to hear from us what we desire even though he already knows what we want. That can seem a bit confusing. But when you think about it, uh, many of you parents can probably relate here. Um, Ezra, growing up, he's learning to communicate uh, more efficiently, effectively. Uh, His baby sister, Ayla, though, not quite the uh, effective communicator that Ezra is. And so Ezra's picked up this uh, annoyance uh, where he sometimes will copy Ayla. Ayla go, eh, 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 when she wants something. And in Ezra, our child who is well capable of talking will go, eh, eh, eh. eh. A lot of times we know exactly what he wants. He's pointing to it. He, he's reaching for that uh, chocolate milk. He's reaching for that cookie. He's reaching for the mo. And I was like, dude, come on. Use your words. Tell me what you want. How many of you parents have been there before? You just want, even if you know what your child wants, you just want your child to use your words and tell you what you want. And the same is true with God as well. Even though God already knows. Better than you what you want, better than you what you need, God still wants to hear it from yourself. He wants to hear it from you. Just like a parent would his child picking up an uh, annoying trait from their younger uh, sibling and grumbling and complaining. And so instead of grumbling and complaining with God, communicate with him. Ask him, God, these are the things that I'm desiring. God, please... um, Help my family uh, seek you, God. Please help this church seek you, God. Please watch over those in Israel. Make your requests known to God. Now, when it comes to making our requests known to God, when it comes to asking God for things, I'd very, very strongly encourage you to think about what your primary purpose in life is. What is your mission? I hope you, you can answer that. If someone asks you, what is your primary purpose in life? What is your mission in life? What are you out to accomplish? I hope you can answer that. If not, you need to do some self-evaluation and, and identify what is your primary purpose in life. But when we're seeking to ask God for things, I encourage you to think about what your primary purpose in life is. You know, the prayer, Lord, please keep me and my family safe and healthy. That is not a bad prayer by any means necessary. However, if my mission in life is to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom, then this probably shouldn't be my primary request to God. And yet it appears uh, for, for so many people, their primary request from God is for safety and health. Again, I'm not saying praying to God for safety and health are bad things. These are good things to pray for. But we're talking about the primary focus of our prayers. There's so much more to life than being safe and healthy. When I think of myself, when I think of my purpose in life, my identity, why I exist, I think it extends far greater than simply being safe and healthy. And so when it comes to making a request known to God, I think they've got to extend far greater than simply asking for safety and good health. I'm tremendously inspired with the book of Acts and, and the first followers of Jesus. These guys, they went through it all. If you were to just take uh, the Apostle Paul himself and you study the, the, the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul, he went through it all. Paul, he went through beatings. He he was left for dead. He went through imprisonment, abandonment. He was shipwrecked. You name it. Paul went through it all. Yet when we study The book of Acts, and we look at these different letters that Paul addressed. The the book of Acts, if you're not familiar, the book of Acts uh, addresses the the earliest followers of Christ. And so these are the first Christians, the first Christ followers. They have their heart set on God, their heart set on on, on Christ. They're on fire for God and fire for Christ. And yet these first followers, including Paul, going through all of these awful, awful, awful things much of the time for no other reason that they were a follower of Christ. But through it all, when we study their prayers throughout the book of Acts, when we study the prayers throughout uh, Paul's writings, when we study the prayers uh, of the other writers of the uh, letters of the New Testament, we see that their primary prayer was to further their missions in life, being an apostle of Christ Jesus. Their primary prayer revolved around God's kingdom Revolved around, I love it, uh, oftentimes when, when they are thrown in prison, they were uh, persecuted because of their faith, uh, whether physically. They're not praying God uh, for, for healing. They're praying for strength. They're praying, God, give us courage in the midst of this persecution that we can continue to, to preach this gospel message in the face of persecution. And so I'm tremendously inspired by these early heroes of our faith. We see what their primary focus was. And their primary focus was represented in their prayers to God as well. Yes, safety and good health, good things to ask God for. I want God to give me safety and good health. I want God to provide Jamie and you all and Ezra and Ayla with safety and good health. But that is not my primary request to God, nor should it be my primary request to God. And I encourage you, when it comes to the supplication, comes to asking things for God, I think so often we fall into this rabbit hole, fall into this temptation where our primary focus in our prayers is safety and good health. I encourage you to be bold. Awaken your spirit. Ask for bigger and bolder things. Ask for God to grant you the courage to share the gospel message in your workplace. Ask for God that that, that he stirs the heart of your spouse, of your children, of your parents. Ask God that he builds and sustains positive momentum here at North Hills. Ask God for things that reflect your primary purpose in life. And so number one, if you don't know what your primary purpose in life, you've got to find that out for yourself. Number two. think your prayers, your communication with your heavenly father, they've got to reflect your primary purpose in life as well. And so I would ask you, what do your requests to God suggest is your primary purpose in life? I think the church needs to step up with its prayers. We need to be bold. We need to ask God for courage and strength to share his gospel message. And so this simple formula, Acts, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, a simple model uh, that was uh, brought up a little over 100 years ago now. This is just one example, one system of how we pray to God. When we pray to God, We remember, we pray to God as we would communicate with a loved one, more specifically, a loving father. There's got to be an element of respect, and there's got to be an element of love in your tone and your stance, your position towards God. If you got that taken care of, you are well on your way of having a successful prayer life. And then again, if you're someone in that situation where you don't know what to say to the all-knowing God, follow this model, follow this rubric. Start by adoring God. Go down the list. God, you are awesome God, you are abounding in your grace. God, you are greater than than all of your creation. And then go down to your confession. God, I am sorry. Forgive me for X, Y, and Z. And be specific. Then move into your thanksgiving. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for this bread, this food. I thank you for our family, for this church. And then, after all of that, then you seek God in the supplication and you make your request known to God. God, please give me strength and courage to share your message. Give me strength to withstand temptation. Give my family strength. Give my church strength, Father. Make your request known to God. And the closer you grow to God, the further you can get from a strict model like this and following all right, what comes first? A, then C, then T, then S. And if you're someone who has a strong prayer life, you don't have to rely on a model like this. But yet, all four of these elements should be present in your prayer life. You should be adoring God and your prayers day in and day out. You should be confessing your sins. You should be thanking God. And you should be making requests known to God. Not every single prayer has to contain all four of these elements. But your collection of prayers has got to contain all four of of these elements. And so once we understand what prayer is and how to pray, that opens the door to so much more. We can begin to see this incredible resource that we have at our disposal the ability to communicate with the God of heaven and earth. Let's pray. God, we adore you. We give you praise for who you are as the God of heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth. God, I ask for your forgiveness over this church when we have failed to live up to your standard. Father, we confess our sins to you. We ask for forgiveness. We seek to repent from our sins, Father. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness you offer us. Father, we thank you for the ways in which you move through this church. We thank you for the breath of life. We thank you for the freedoms that we have. We thank you for your love and care and generosity towards us and your grace. And God, I just pray that you watch over this church. I pray that you give us courage and strength to share this gospel message to the ends of the earth, to all nations. Father, I pray that you help us sustain and build positive momentum here at North Hills so that we can grow closer to you and we can expand your kingdom. Father, I pray that you do many and mighty works in and through this church and in and through the lives of every individual here. And so God, We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.